to another installment of The Conspiracy Skeptic. I'm your Conspiracy Skeptic, Carl Mamer, and with me today is my guest, uh, Charles Smith. And th- that's your actual name, right? That's just not... Yes, right? yes. It's not just a very, some sort of very generic pseudonym or something. It is. Um, I had a look on Facebook once, and I think there was, there was well, thousands and thousands and thousands of us. I couldn't even find myself on Facebook. It was that... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> It kind of becomes a problem sometimes when I'm kind of booking into hotels or, you know, signing for, for packages and things that come through the mail. People just look at me like, that's not your real name, is it? It's like, yeah, it kind of is. I kind of wonder how people, like the John Smiths of the world, how, how they cope because people just never believe it's their name. Yeah. So <laughs> you just, they just think you're trying to be clever just by yes, going yeah. with Charles. <laughs> Cool. Okay, and uh, I guess from the sound of your voice, you know you're you're not you're not from around here. You're, you're I not... am not. No, I am from Britain. All right, Haley Haley Stevens country. Yes, I am. In fact, it's not that that far away. I think she's in Wiltshire. That um, sounds and familiar. I'm in uh, Bristol, which is kind of um, fairly close by. Okay, I, I, I've heard of at least I've heard of Bristol. Yeah, yeah. it's a, it's kind of moderately sized um, city, uh, close to the Wales border. Okay. Um, about population about half a million. Not particularly, not particularly big, but but it's a, it's a nice place. All right. What it, does it does it have a claim to fame? It has. Oh, it's got. What would be our claims to fame? Well, the bad ones would be um, inventing the slave trade. Okay. And um, piracy. That's you know actually piracy on the seas. Okay. The good ones are Wallace and Gromit. Yeah, and. Um, Cary Grant, they'll be, they'll be, they're the claims to fame we prefer. All right, wow. Animated TV shows and Hollywood stars. Okay, and uh, as far as sort of your your skeptical community cred, this is I guess this is like a listener show. Uh, yes, yes, I'm. I've had very very little um, interaction with the skeptics beyond going to um, uh, the skeptics in the pub in Bristol and. Um, you know, I I am a listener, a fan, and thought, um, hey, I have a sort of, I have an idea, and uh, an idea that I thought was interesting, and uh, thought I'd send you an email about it. Yeah, it was sort of a good idea. You know, um, you know, my my sort of sub line or whatever is, uh, you know, conspiracies of today and the not too distant past, and yes, and then uh, yours was kind of yours was sort of reaching back into the in in this is this is definitely stretching the term recent past. Yeah, yeah, but by but quite you, some margin. Yeah, you made a very compelling argument though that you know it's like well it plays on a lot of you know conspiracies today. So, I think uh, it kind of it uses that same template, which it pretty much applies to every conspiracy theory. Of these kind of shadowy figures who have seemingly unlimited power and are able to go after absolutely anybody who they want to for any kind of reason whatsoever. So, you know, it works. And plus we see, you know, the same things, the same arguments coming up again and again. And people still genuinely, you know, if you're going to ask the, the average person on the street what they thought about, you know, this crime, 
you would pretty much come up with people thinking that at least this conspiracy theory had some truth to it. It's almost become the accepted story of what happened, even though it's probably the most wildly improbable story of them all. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. And without much further ado, we should... Well, I mean, when people download this, they will obviously see the uh, the, the subject, so we're, yes. prob- we're probably not surprising them. Probably keeping it a secret for, for no real reason. <laughs> right, exactly. It's it's your involvement with the IRA, isn't it? Yes, it is, yes. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> the actual conspiracy is... It is Jack the Ripper and the Masons. Oh, cool. Yeah, good. I, you know, I don't think we've even really dealt a lot with the Freemasons, um, e- either in sort of my, my normal or my my old format or, or, or this format. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, I mean, everybody, you know, has probably heard of Jack the Ripper from Star Trek yes. fans to, uh, you know, Sherlock Holmes fans and stuff like that. So. I'd, I'd actually read once that apparently – um, of the Victorian era, only Queen Victoria in in Britain, only Queen Victoria is more well known than Jack the Ripper. Well, that's comforting. Which is which is kind of strange, especially as Jack the Ripper is an unknown figure. Oh, that's that, very very true. But of course, as the conspiracy goes, Jack the Ripper is actually known, right? Yes, of course. Yes, there was of course there was the people in the know have known ever since it happened and before, of right. course. And are going through well, it's 122 years now since it, uh, since the since the murders, and ever since then they've managed to almost keep it covered up. But some some brave individuals have been able to to peep behind the curtain and see see the truth. Cool. Okay. So so the sort of the uh, you know the the story the sheeple have been fed is uh, I mean everyone knows it's sort of a uh, you know, some crazed killer with a knife that would yes. kill kill prostitutes or something. Yes, right. right. And what uh, what um, what was the uh, what was the sort of the time frame frame of this? Well, it depends on how many murders you're actually counting as the Jack the Ripper murders. Okay. Um, people say anything up to ten, and anything as low as three. Okay. But most people, what's regarded as the canon, uh, canonical victims, are five, which range from the 31st of August, 1888, to um, the 9th of November, 1888. So five murders in a fairly short space of time. Okay, all right. And, uh, and, and, and why do they sort of tie these together as sort of the, the, the canonical canonical five? Like what, what, what the- well, there was, there was two murders which happened before what's regarded as the first one. And the, um, the actual attacks were quite different. They were actually stabs to the, uh, the chest rather than the neck. Um, and without wanting to get too graphic about things, there was what is regarded as the... the uh, you know the big five okay. there was um quite serious mutilations to all of them which weren't in the other in the other victims okay um, did, did Jack the Ripper kind of like disembowel or something did any sort of um yes um especially the final victim who was Mary Jane Kelly um was um because she was the only one who wasn't killed out on the streets she was actually in her home um oh, okay. that was uh, just completely savage there was very little left almost identifiable of her which is actually which is actually why it's led some people to to believe it might not actually have been um the the last victim might not actually have been her at all and it was just 
completely unidentifiable. You know, obviously in those days, forensics was, you know, a, a field that was absolutely in its infancy. Right, and, right. You know, these things weren't as, as easy to tell as they would have been now, especially with these women who obviously they were prostitutes. They were living in one of the, the poorest um, places in Britain, in Whitechapel. Um, they were unknowns for, for, the, for the main part. Okay. What, what, uh, Whitechapel, is, is that still a poor part of... Whitechapel has become um, uh, something of a, like a, as quite often happens with these um, impoverished areas, they kind of go through a phase of gentrification and then you get the kind of the artists and the hipsters kind of kind of moving in. It's um, quite a, uh, has quite a big Asian community. Okay. So it's really good to go if you're into to Indian food and things like that. It's still a fairly, um, you know, it's not a particularly well-off area of London, okay. um, con- considering how close it is, but it's still part of the East End and it's still, you, you know, it's a, you know, it's a, a, a greatly improved place today as it was from then. And all of these streets, all of these, all of the murder locations, they're almost completely lost because the entire place has now been gone gone through such a change over the past hundred years that is virtually unrecognizable. There are a couple of landmarks that that people can actually go and see, like a, a few pubs which which remained. But but for the most part it's like any other area of London. When when you say East End, is that is that kind of like with that TV show The East Enders? Is that the yes, same? Yes, okay. that would be, you know, very much the kind of a uh, you know, the kind of area and and pretty much a fairly recognisable depiction of what, what Whitechapel is like. Okay, all right. Like today. Okay, all right. So, so um, the um, why did they come to call this killer? Why did they call him Jack the Ripper? What was sort of the origin well, of, the, of that name? Was that what the cops called him well, when they were investigating, was, or is that just a later? It, well, it was. I think it was after the um, the second murder of the second of the canonical murders um that's when the name was given and it was invented by the press who actually wanted to give this uh you know this unknown figure that was getting an awful lot of press attention um not because you know the murders were particularly uncommon especially in Whitechapel but it was a very lurid press and they and they very much enjoyed being able to comment on all of the the gory details of, of and it just it, it managed to get so much attention because of the savagery of it and the fact that it was a time in which the press um very much liked to dwell on um the nastiest details of things like that and so he was given this name by a, a journalist um i can't actually remember his name um, it might be one of those things that's been lost to time who actually came up with it. But once once that stuck, people started referring to, to him in that way. And then, of course, there was letters from, I think there's somewhere like 200 letters from people claiming to be Jack the Ripper and would almost always sign off with that with that name. Oh, OK. All right. And I think I think it's part of the reason why the whole myth, the whole story has it has survived for so long is because as far as monikers go, that's a pretty... Uh, memorable one there's something about it that's punchy and um just unpleasant that kind of makes the whole thing just gives it an extra level of intrigue right right 
this was this was a time, I guess, when uh, I guess like kind of like tabloid journalism was sort of really emerging, right? Where, yes, where, yes. Like the man in the street could now afford a newspaper or something. Yes, and um, perhaps less so in um, in Whitechapel, but other parts of Britain, um, literacy rates had increased greatly over time. So it was actually people were more likely to be able to read generally. And there were also people who would be almost like you would have um, buskers, like street performers, mm-hmm. who would instead be reading the newspaper in the streets and people would drop money in their hat and would be able to then get the, the, the daily news that way if they weren't able to read. Okay, all right. So, so it was, yeah, it was a time it was definitely much more, um, people had much more um, access to what was actually happening in the country at the time. All right, and, and I guess before we transit to the you know to the conspiracy, there were were, were there some like legitimate suspects like I mean there today people even if they're not believing in conspiracy some people have yeah. like you know c- suspects but um, were there actually back then did they did they have suspects that the, the well the there was um, there was a fair if you actually have a, a look online at the lists of possible suspects it runs into pages and pages and pages. Um, <laughs> There was three ones which keep on cropping up who are actually suspects at the time, which were um, a barrister called uh, Montague John Druitt, um, a, a Polish Jewish immigrant called Aaron Kuzminski, and an American, um, I want to say doctor, but essentially he was a quack selling uh, Indian herbs okay. um, called Francis Tumblety. But of those three, there's virtually nothing, nothing whatsoever that you can. Uh, that you can pin them on. In fact, Montague, Montague John Drew, the only thing that, that there seems to be is that he might have been, might have had mental health issues. Okay. And other than that, for, for most of the murders, it doesn't even sound like he was in London. So, in short, there's, there is no evidence to really pin on anybody. Okay. Now, it seemed uh, like, a, like a leather apron seemed to be some sort of, Yes. Yeah. The first um, the first nickname that Jack the Ripper was given was Leather Apron, um, which was a name for um, it was a general term that was given to butchers because they would wear leather aprons. And it was also a career which a lot of um, Jewish immigrants um, would would take to um, because people always needed meat. So there's a fair amount of money to be made if you're coming to the country with with very little, you could get yourself started up quite easily. And there was an initial thought, people thought it must have been uh, an immigrant, most likely a Jew, because people thought there was no way an English man would have been responsible for this level of brutality. It was a very, very um, racist time, especially in London, because these waves of immigration had happened over the past 20 years or so. And people were extremely suspicious of, you know, who are these people coming to, coming to live among us? I, I, I noticed in sort of the list of suspects that kept like, well, this Polish Jew or that Polish Jew or this yes, Polish Jew. Yes. You, you see, know. the vast majority of people who were um, accused at the time were um, people of um, Jewish, the, the Jewish people essentially living in London, and for. This was—it was almost like something which had come to a peak with the, with the, the Jack the Ripper murders. Um, people weren't happy about having to live with these people who they didn't know whether to trust or not, and 
so as soon as something bad happens and this is as you see happen again and again and again as soon as there is an outbreak of crime or something that people turn to the stranger who lives among them and think oh well, it must be them because exactly. they're strange customs and we never trusted them in the first place exactly you know they, they there was sort of a i mean you couldn't really call it serial killer but like a couple women um near a Canadian Air Force base sort of turned up dead and there was a couple of rapes and and uh and um you know as it turned out it was actually the the commander of the Air Force base was yeah. the was the killer and uh, you know i mean this incredibly yeah, I mean, you know the one of Canada's top military commanders like this yeah. yeah i mean he looked clean cut you know uniform you know hero flew the mm-hmm. queen around when she came to Canada yeah. He's the killer, right? And, and couldn't possibly have been him, yeah. Because that's yeah. that's not what we have in our heads. Is that's that isn't who we imagine to be capable of this kind of attacks like that. Exactly. And what, wasn't there some? It wasn't some graffiti or something that kind of like implicated yes, the Jews. Yes, that was called the um, the Galston Street graffiti, and um, well, yes, it could have been implicating the Jews or it actually plays a fairly big part of the, the actual conspiracy story itself of the Masons. Okay. Okay. Or was, I thought it was bus, like, it was just really bad spelling or something. It could it was, ex- it was extremely bad spelling and it was also extremely bad grammar as well with a, it was a double negative in the sentence, which means it's virtually impossible to tell what the person was actually meaning. They were either saying the Jews were to blame or the Jews weren't to blame. <laughs> so that's why you always got to watch for your double negatives or people will never know your, uh, your true intention. Even 120 years later, people might still be trying to, to work out what you were trying to say. Or it's just a girlfriend wanting to know, does this dress make me look fat or something like that? Yeah, you can add a, perhaps then we can add a, add a double negative in there and it might, might be able to cover your tracks possibly. All right. So, so the, uh, like I said, sort of, we should get into the conspiracy then. So, you know, so most people, the sheeple, you know, blamed the, uh, you know, the, the Jewish immigrants, the Polish Mm -hmm. Jewish immigrants, Butchers, yes. not not plumbers this time, but, no, uh, no. right? The the Polish <laughs> the Polish butchers, um, yes. and uh, but other people, uh, the people in the know, the Army of Light people, they they they've really sort of they know the true story. So what's what's the what's the true story, and well, what's the, the, what's the evidence for the for the real killer? Well, the true story, of course, as I'm now letting the world in on, yes, thank is, you, um, <laughs> was unearthed by a journalist and a TV researcher called Stephen Knight, who was, um, he was doing some research on behalf of the BBC for a TV series in um, 1973, this was, on Jack the Ripper. And he found the, the whole case very interesting and uh, decided that he could carry on doing the research himself. And at some point in his research, he was um, apparently given a tip-off from Scotland Yard, which is the um, the head of the police services in London, um, saying, "Well, we've heard word that there is this uh, there is this man um, named uh, Joseph Gorman who has some information on the case, which you might be interested in." So he went to visit him, and uh, pretty much the after a 15 minute conversation with this, with this man, the story became um, the, you know, the entire I say plot, but 
the entire basis of the, the book, Jack the Ripper, The Final Solution, which was the book which first actually published the, this idea of this conspiracy involving pretty much everyone who was famous in Victorian England at that time and accused them of being to blame in some way. So what uh, what was what why why were they killing like why were they killing prostitutes? Well, this story by um, uh, that Joseph Gorman told, who at, at the time he went by the name of um, Joseph Sickert, which will um, be explained later. Um, he believed that um, sometime in 1886, so two years before the uh, the, fir- the murders began, um, there was a prostitute named Annie Cook who was having a relationship with a man, um, a kind of well-to-do man who would come into London. He would be driven on um, a horse and cart and they would meet and they'd go off to places in private. And they eventually, um, depending on which version of the story you listen to, they either got married and had a child together or had a child together out of wedlock. Now, at the time, Annie Crook who was the prostitute, didn't know that this was actually Prince Albert, who she was having an affair with, which was um, obviously would, if that was exposed, that would have caused a huge scandal. Right. Especially as she was a Catholic as well. And obviously the Church of England, they don't have a very good history together, the Catholics and the Church of England in Britain. And so potentially them having a child together who, um, despite being a girl, would still actually have a fairly reasonable claim to the throne in the future. Okay. Could so, possibly could possibly bring down the royal family. Okay. So, so Prince Albert. So this was this Queen Victoria's son. Uh, yes, my my, um, my royal family knowledge is not probably as good as it should be, but yes, I think so. Okay. He also went by the name of uh, Prince Eddie as well, okay. which was why supposedly. Any crook didn't know that this was actually uh, Prince Albert because he went by the name of Eddie. And uh, supposedly of this uh, um, this baby girl who was born, there was four women, who four prostitutes knew about this and they helped look after um, the baby Alice. Mm-hmm. And of course, these four women went to become four of the five um, prostitutes who were murdered ah. during the... Um, during the time of um, Jack the Ripper. And of course, the reason why they were murdered was because Queen Victoria found out about this affair that had happened and the birth of the child. And in order to protect the British crown, um, she and um, uh, William Gladstone, who was the prime minister at the time, um, concocted this idea that they would do away with all the women who knew about um, this birth. And uh, in order to... uh, to to make this happen um the queen asked her surgeon who was a man called william goal to get together a group of men from the masons who would then go about silencing these women okay now there's the, sur- the surgeon aspect is kind of uh important part because of the way the murders were supposedly you know, conducted or something. Yes, yes. Well, there was, I think it was from two of the bodies, um, the uterus was removed, as were kidneys, and apparently they're very difficult parts of the body to locate. So if you were actually looking for them, you might have needed some formal surgical training. 
Okay. So, so some some people sort of take that to go, oh, the guy must have been, you know, a doctor, or at least maybe, you know, like like a, coming back to the butcher idea, yes. someone familiar. But yes, it would be somebody who probably knows their way around a body. Okay. Now, is that? It sounds a bit like the, um, you know, the uh, cattle mutilations. You know, where they yes. cl- they claim, oh, you know, these organs were moved with surgical precision. Yes. I mean, is that sort of was that kind of the consensus opinion of, of the you know? Of well, it it was at the time it was thought that in order to to take these parts of the body, then you must have some some training as far as the body goes. I mean, obviously there were no. You know, there were no books on autopsies or things <laughs> like that at the at the time that the average person could pick up. Okay. I, th- I think that always the biggest argument against that that idea that it had to be a surgeon is that yes, you probably would need some training if you were actually looking for these parts of the body, rather than if you were just essentially eviscerated somebody and took whatever you found. Right. Right. Which I think is probably more likely what what actually happened. Right, yeah. I mean, it's just like, oh, this looks interesting. I'll take it. Yes, know? yes. If you, if it had been somebody who'd actually been going out of their way to perhaps find a, a uterus or a kidney, right. then you know that would probably need <clears throat> require a bit more knowledge. If it was somebody who was um, just seeing what he could find, it probably probably wouldn't. So uh, back to the, uh, the, right. the actual the conspiracy story. Because it becomes even more convoluted, um, in as much as William Gull goes to his um, his uh, mason, uh, his Freemasons lodge, and with his friend uh, Walter Sickert, who is a very famous um, Victorian painter, um, very accomplished and uh, 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 painter, they concoct this idea amongst the rest of the Freemasons that they will murder these four women, these four prostitutes, um, who, uh, who it's never entirely explained how they actually found out who these four women were. And in the entirety of um, Jack Ripper, The Final Solution, I don't think any, any explanation is offered there. <laughs> but they will go out and they will find these women and they will murder them in ways which are um, evocative of old stories from the founding of Freemasonry and will lay them out across London to form the shape of the, um, the square on compasses, which is the emblem of the, the Masons. Ah. Because if you're going to do murders like this, you want to, you don't just want to do the murder. You also want to leave enough clues behind to, <laughs> to point who the real perpetrator would be. Right. Like, like the, the Denver airport conspiracy where, uh, yes, you, know, exactly. you, you, you want to just spell out the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you want to, it's always the, the same thing is that you'll be trying to, you'll go to enormous lengths to cover up um, your, your wicked nefarious schemes, but you will leave one blatant clue there that will just be like, it will be kind of like the, uh, just like leaving your mark on it saying, look, yes, see, we were all behind it. Right. So, yeah. And weren't sort of the, the, the way the women were killed. Don't some people sort of say, Oh, it was just like, masonic ritual like a masonic yes. ritual or something yes that um the, the the fact is that with i think it was um who was it it was the second murder who was um annie chapman she had at her body was found um 
some leftover uh, parts of grapes and she also had coins placed at her feet as well and coins and grapes supposedly are masonic symbols which is a bit of a misnomer in as fact that pretty much any um symbol that represents a trade is a masonic symbol oh, okay so you will be able to find you know pictures of bunches of grapes or coins but you'll also find um you know, tools and, um, well, if you can just imagine any form of labour, then you will find it represented somewhere in Masonic imagery. Right. And also there was another one of the um, the, the murders. Catherine Eddowes had, um, which has never actually been explained why, but under on her cheeks she had two inverted Vs were carved under her eyes. And uh, suppose if you take these V's and you put them together, then that forms an M to, to like um, <laughs> a calling card of saying, look, we're the Masons doing this. Nah, naturally. <laughs> and the reason why there were why there were five murders in total was because one of the um, one of the victims that it was Catherine Eddowes with the with the, the, the V incisions went by the name of Mary Kelly sometimes, which was the name of the final victim. So she was the mistake. Mm, okay. And uh, and obviously there was these, the five murders in total, the, the women were um, lured away into, into this uh, coach and then their bodies were left around Whitechapel. And if you do mark them out on a map, then it does, it, and you do a very vague depiction of the the square square and compasses then you can almost make a uh a, like the masonic emblem from it but the fact is you would need six points to do it successfully and there was <laughs> you can't really do it with five it doesn't work you right. have to imagine that there's a sixth point there yeah it reminds me of, um a number of years ago there was a some crazy kid who was like planting mail bombs in America and he was sort of driving around America planting mail bombs and his idea was that as so the FBI began to plot these mail bombings on a map they would sort of form like a, a smiley face uh, fr- from the Nirvana uh, Nirvana album cover <laughs> you know but he, he kind of he didn't get very far before I got it he was caught or gave up or something like yes. that but yeah so I mean I guess sometimes there are crazy people that do <laughs> yeah Try to leave a plot on a map, but uh, that's 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 rare. <laughs> that is quite a quite a uh, a unique crime spree, I would imagine. I don't think it happens happens that often. And this also, of course, you know, uh, sounds a lot like uh, you know, you know, the, the the modern day Princess Di conspiracy. That you know, again, the the Queen and you know levels of government have conspired to you know murder somebody to protect. Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think that probably stems from a general, and I don't know how much of this you have in Canada, but this general idea of the kind of the monarchy itself being this extremely powerful entity that is pretty much able to do what it wants um, outside of the, the jurisdiction of the government. Um, it's obviously something which doesn't have a huge amount of support um, as a general theory, um, but People do still like to hang on to that idea that yes, if if the Queen orders somebody dead, then they will be the brakes to their car will be cut, or there will be a trail of murdered women across London. <laughs> then, uh, I, I I honestly don't think the uh, 
the, the Queen Anne quite has that power, and I don't think she has for quite some time. She seems so nice. I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't. I can't imagine this Queen uh, going on a spree, keep uh, killing spree personally, but but who knows? Who knows? So, so, and, and I guess it was the Masons, like um. You know, yes. weren't they kind of like you know they're the power behind the throne yes. and the government and so yes and we see we see this um, conspiracy theory coming around all the time every five years or so it will come around into the tabloid press again especially the the kind of really junky um, rubbishy uh, I'm essentially saying the Daily Mail will report essentially Masons are running the country or the world right and. Uh, there's nobody has actually really been able to prove anything conclusively that the that the Masons have any control over anything other than their own organisation. <laughs> They're uh, essentially a uh, well, you could almost describe them their origins as being kind of like a trade union, but for the 16th and 17th century when they had their origins. Right. Yes. Um, and it was just it was like an amalgamation of different craftsmen. Um, who wanted to protect their jobs, essentially. And uh, essentially they started fragmenting into cities, which became known as the lodges. Mm-hmm. And began, you know, as as time went on, they became a sort of quasi-religious organisation, but only in so much as, you know, to join, you had to pledge an allegiance to some kind of supreme being. Right. But it didn't necessarily have to be like the Christian God or or anybody like that. Well, I mean, and the idea was that they would do, you know, favors for each other. I mean, sort of back in back in the day, you know, you were pretty when you were building things, you were you got a stone that was pretty much a church, right? So, yes, so you, yeah. you, you had some sort of closer connection to God, and so if you were a mason, yeah. you know, you were kind of it's like being um, I, I don't know what's a good analogy today, but but uh, um. There's almost like an idea that the people who worked with their hands and did these kind of crafts and these um, jobs, which involved a lot of labor, that there was some kind of like earthy wholeness to uh, to what they were doing. And there was actually something quite um, godly in uh, in these trades, just because there was something kind of honest. In right, a way. right. So, so you kind of you kind of got a lot of you know rich society wannabes, right? That kind of wanted to. Yeah, as it went on, as it went on, it kind of moved beyond what would what you would almost imagine like the working class trades, and became more about um, the the kind of white collar work than uh, you know doctors and lawyers and and things like that. Right, right. Uh, being more integrated into it. And now, if you actually asked the general public how what they imagine masons to be, they would kind of think, well, they're all judges and they're all um, police chiefs and they're all uh, politicians and they're all part of this huge web of uh, of shady dealings. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, there's something to be said that you know any kind of you know fraternal order or, or yes. anything where people all kind of get together. I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of chumming around and a lot of, yes. you know, I'll hire you and stuff like that. I mean, I, you know, I used, work at, it's, yeah, it's I, used to work, I used to work at a company and the boss was Italian and, you know, if you're Italian, you kind of got a first shot at a lot of the jobs. Yeah. Your odds of actually your promotion are probably much, uh, much yeah. greater. Yeah. And that's probably because people, 
whether they consciously or subconsciously, perhaps when they're looking for other people to promote or employ, they are perhaps looking for somebody who's most like them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would, I would hire University of Windsor. That's where I went, University of Windsor. I would hire a University of Windsor grad. I give, I give him a shot that I wouldn't maybe give, you know, a, uh, you know, a grad from another university or yes. something. Yeah. Just because you have, um, you automatically feel a kind of a kinship with, with them. Just because you came from the same place and you recognize something. Right. Exactly. About your history in, in them, but there are all these kind of rumors that the Masons have like secret handshakes that, you know, so they can check whether other Masons are, <laughs> or, you know, whether they're fellow brothers or, and I've always thought about that. I don't think I've ever shaken a man's hand and thought that was a bit of a weird handshake. What did he do there? <laughs> I don't know whether perhaps that just means that my general demeanor means that I obviously can't be a Mason. So it's not <laughs> trying. There's no way. There's sure no way he's getting in. <laughs> yeah, there's no way he's one of us. There's, I'm pretty sure there isn't this um, this whole uh, society of men out there doing strange handshakes and slipping words into certain conversations just to just to see if there are any other masons about. Great. I think essentially it's you know it's the idea of a brotherhood which has you know some just origins in tradition there is only estimated about six million worldwide which six million actually seems like you know a reasonable amount but if when you get them all in one city sure yeah if you spread that out over the world then it's not actually that that significant amount of amount of people especially when they're talking about you know something like quarter of a million in in britain and you know i'm not sure that, uh, that they actually probably do have all that much power then if, uh, if uh, you know, you, you don't quite you see, see them operating that much. Right. Yeah. I suppose that's, that's part of the, uh, part of their mystique, <laughs> that perhaps. But I just, I don't really think there's probably enough of them around to uh, really do a huge amount of damage to society. So I mean, is so is is there getting back to sort of the murders? Is there any actual evidence for this conspiracy theory, or is it just you know it just uh, what I call the, the 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 narrative fallacy? You know, just see, he put together a nice little narrative, and you know what? A, wow, how cool if this narrative works? So what, what's the, what's the evidence? Well, I always kind of think about it being kind of like you take um, various bits of this of like the known facts and then you just sort of hang a story in between them and hope that hope that it works and that's what you see with quite a lot of these conspiracy theories but essentially this this one in particular almost all of the evidence came from uh the the man who who told the story in the first place which was joseph gorman he told his story um that he had been told it from his mother, who it turns out was Alice Cook, who was the daughter of uh, essentially the uh, uh, Annie Cook and Prince Albert. So she was the the woman who could have been queen was Joseph Gorman's mother. Ah, okay. And with the publication of the book, and it was extremely popular, um, Jack Ripper, The Final Solution, um, wildly popular just because it kind of fed into a certain sense of paranoia in the 70s about the masons uh 
it became popular and in the end Joseph Gorman came forward and actually said hey do you know I actually made up the story <laughs> I'm a, because if you followed his story he actually would have been next in line to be the king yeah, the other, there you go right yeah <laughs> and uh, you know people it, it was one of those things when you have a retraction like that it doesn't get anywhere near as much publicity as the the initial sensational story right Right. So, which is probably why now, if you ask people about it, they kind of imagine, well, Jack the Ripper didn't that have something to do to do with the royal family or something to do with the Masons, right? Rather than actually, no, there was there was no evidence at all. There was the the reason why uh, Prince Albert sometimes gets named in it is one of the descriptions from a woman who might have seen Jack the Ripper and survived. She gave a very vague description that you could that you could interpret as looking like Prince Albert. Okay, that right. was a that's it. That's the only actual piece of of evidence where that goes outside of Joseph Gorman's story. Okay, <laughs> so he had a mustache or something. Yes, pretty much. He was tall and thin, had a mustache, and uh, pretty much that described virtually every gentleman in. In Victorian society, unfortunately. And pretty much every gentleman in Victorian society has been put forward as a, a suspect. I was actually reading just this afternoon about uh, Lewis Carroll of, right. Uh, right. of Alice in Wonderland having uh, secret messages hidden in, in his books, which were confessions to being Jack the Ripper. Yeah, is it something like one, one, one of his characters or something is an an if You know, you can make an anagram that, you know, yeah, there's a, the, and there was also, um, it was almost like, um, have you ever heard of the Bible code? Right, yes, um, yeah. It was like applying the same rules to that, to his work, and you would be able to get, like, the names of some of the victims and some of the streets and things like that. Um, the, why on earth you would actually uh, put that into a book is a... Uh, uh, hide a confession in in the, the middle of a book or a piece of poetry seems a, seems another one of those oddities. Right, yeah, Lewis Carroll. But was was it something like J.R.R. Tolkien's kind of inspiration? Wasn't he a, a, a suspect as well? Oh, I haven't heard of of that one. Um, one of my favourite ones is um, uh, John Merrick, the Elephant Man. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I can't imagine people anybody being more conspicuous in Whitechapel at, at the time, he probably wasn't the kind of person who could move around uh, unnoticed. But yeah, essentially, if you were alive at that time uh, and lived in London, then somebody has pointed the finger at you and said, "said uh, yes, this we found him. This was the this was the man." And not just men either. There's a whole there's a whole subset of conspiracy theories about a Jill the Ripper who was uh, supposedly an abortionist who uh, was trying to go back and cover up the crime of, you know, that she had, uh, uh, she had been involved in a series of abortions in London and had got found out to so had to go and uh, silence these women who she performed um, these abortions on, which is probably next to the, uh, the Mason's conspiracy. That's probably one of, another one of the most unlikely ones. Right. So um, but this, uh, uh, you know, despite how how unlikely it is, we do see it 
really popping up all the time. There was just a few years ago, the film uh, From Hell was essentially uh, the Jack the Ripper movie called From Hell. That was essentially this story. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, right. It's so um, permeated kind of a lot of our culture, right? The, the, people just have sort of go, yeah, you know, yeah. The, the royal family had something to do with yeah. that, or you know, it was was some upper class guy. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. There was a there was a, an episode of The Simpsons um, from a few years ago that was on TV the other night, and there was a scene where Chief Wigger asks Homer who he thinks uh, Jack the Ripper was, and he says it was the Queen Surgeon. <laughs> So it's you know it's it's not going away even if you can have somebody confessing to actually invented the entire story, people <laughs> hang on to to it and just even if even if they have read the whole retraction of it years later they will come back to it and just think they will just almost remember the barest details of yes that just had something to do with with the royal family. Wow, you know this is sort of another. Uh it has another interesting element that's sort of common to most conspiracy theories where, uh, you know, the, the person sort of putting forward the theory, it, it somehow involves them, you know, puts yeah. them at the center of, so, so here's this guy, right. The G- Gorman, you know, yeah. I, I'd be next in line for the throne. Yes. Right. So, yeah. And you can't really make yourself much more important in a, as far as British history would go than being the, uh, the next in line to, to the throne this is the, the man who would be king yeah. was the, the, essentially the conclusion to his story well, well um so it was like the uh was the uh, um you know the passover plot or, or either the, the, the thing um uh oh, what was that book about uh leonardo da vinci da vinci code right was sort of based oh. based on uh the Da Vinci Code, based on uh, those those book by those two guys. Oh, the uh, the holy holy blood, blood, holy grail. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. one. Yeah, again, sort of kind of similar that uh, you know that uh, the Merovingian like, uh, kings and this one guy was kind of the you know the French king really, and you know, um, and of course you know the you know the bloodline of Christ. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, descendants still being around, and there is again you could. The parallels is pretty much exactly the same in that, you know, rather than it being the bloodline of Christ, this is the bloodline of um, the throne, rather than it being the uh, the Knights Templar hiding up this conspiracy, it is the Masons. Yes. It's just, it is, the, it's the template which fits quite a lot of stories, which people just, there's something about telling that story which people find satisfying, I think, as far as a, a conclusion to a conspiracy, right? Just just being some crazy guy, you know, yeah. or crazy guy. It's not a satisfying story, right? But no, it isn't. It's not. It you know the most the, the likelihood was that this was another nobody in you know East End London whose name was quite easily never recorded in any way at all. Right. Who was just a, a crazed lunatic um, who murdered a series of prostitutes. But thanks to um, the tabloid media at the time, um, thanks to that name and the thanks to the fact that he was never caught, it has become part of almost British folklore of a you know an, an, a huge unsolved mystery, which rather than just being that simple kind of unsatisfying story it becomes this thing which involves the Masons and the Queen and the Prime Minister 
and this famous painter and the, you know this man who had the throne unfairly stolen from him right that's right. a much more interesting story even if it's completely insane right. which i think it is do you, do you think this murder will ever be solved the jack the ripper will it ever be solved well about every three years or so a book will come out and it will be called something like jack the ripper case closed or <laughs> jack the ripper we've finally caught him it will be like along those lines and every every time you know somebody else will be named as supposedly this is the final piece of proof and we've caught him this time and the fact is is there was it was 122 years ago there are no new bits of evidence likely to come from anywhere no, they, i mean they some of the the little bits of evidence they do have like they they have tried to run dna on yes. stuff but yeah. but it's been i mean everybody's been handling it for the last you know 150 yes. years or yes. whatever that and on top of that, it you know even if you were able to find a DNA sample, you would have no idea that that actually was the DNA of Jack the Ripper. Right. But uh, right. you know it could have been absolutely anybody through through the time. It could have been somebody who you know who she you know whoever the victim was because there was a shawl which is I think is the only piece of evidence remaining from any of the crime scenes which still remains. And people have tried doing absolutely everything that they can to to that piece of material and uh and in fact that was going back to what i said we would um just in case i forget about it that was the shawl which was found at the site of the graffiti okay. in the uh which was the other piece of evidence which supposedly um linked the masons to uh to jack the ripper because the it was actually this was the strange wording saying uh the jews are the men who will not be blamed for nothing <laughs> So, like I said, the double negative makes that very difficult to uh, to establish what is being said there. But what also made it uh, peculiar was the actual spelling of Jews, which is spelt um, J-U-W-E-S. Yeah. Um, which has uh, led people to say that it was actually referring to um, Jubella, Jubello and Jubellum, which were the three apprentice masons who murdered a man called Hiram Abreuth and formed part of the basis of Masonic ritual. That that was the Jews that were being referred to. Right. Yeah. Um, he, he was the one who was the, he was the mason who designed or built the temple, Solomon's temple, or something. I think so. This was the one with the that also featured um, uh, the staircase leading to the temple was kind okay. of crooked. It had a, uh, um, it would kind of begin straight and then it sort of veers off to, to one side and just kind of like a, a very recognisable uh, staircase. And that was also similar, you know, one of the bodies was found close to a staircase, which was quite similar. These, but, but by the time people were getting to those kind of explanations, then that was really, uh, really grasping at straws, trying to find anything, anything beyond um, Joseph Gorman's story okay. as a, you know, a piece of evidence. And I think most likely what that piece of graffiti, which is called the, the Graffito, um, was found on the, uh, the night of what's called the double event, which is when there was two, two women were murdered and 
uh, Jack the Ripper could potentially have taken this one route and this piece of graffiti was found um, alongside a, a shawl which had been left and this piece of chalk writing on the wall. Okay. With, with the unusual spelling. But there's absolutely no reason to imagine that that could have been there for weeks and weeks and weeks beforehand, mm-hmm. unnoticed. There's no reason to think it had absolutely anything to do with with the murders whatsoever. All right, all right then. Um, I guess we should wrap up. Uh, let me let me ask you: Are you you're familiar with the Korean questions? I am indeed. Yes. All right. So so uh, we know your name. We know uh, you live in uh, Bristol. Bristol. Um, mm. So okay. H- how old are you? I am twenty nine. Twenty nine. Club a bit of a pause there because I've just turned 29. Oh, okay. i got to warn you, it all goes downhill after 30. I can't believe how quickly my 20s have gone. And <laughs> when I was telling my parents about this, they were yep, saying, yep, that's pretty much what, how it goes from now on. Each <laughs> yeah. decade gets, just passes faster and faster. I was my, like, my, yeah, thanks for that. Thanks for my only piece of advice is get friends who are older than you. And then yeah. you'll, you'll always seem young. It will remain. I will wait to remain younger. Yes. Good plan. Right. Hey, are, are, are you are you married? I am not. No. Okay. All right. And uh, uh, what 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 do you do? What do you do for a living? I am um, well. I, I do several things, but the one which has a, a kind of lasted me for the for the most part for over the past ten years or so is I make um, uh, prosthetic wounds for various TV shows. Oh wow! Um, okay. Mainly one which is on TV. Uh, called Casualty. It's been running for I think it's about twenty-seven years now. Wow! I, I was um, I was hoping you'd say Doctor Who. <laughs> I would yeah, I would love to be able to say Doctor Who. I've done the tiniest tiniest bit of a uh, work on Doctor Who once, and sadly nothing since uh, nothing since then. Oh wow! Cool. Okay. And, and do, you, do, you, do you get like side work doing uh, uh, you know food replicas for Japanese restaurants? No, I haven't, but I've always been really interested in doing something like that. Actually being able to do the kind of like wax food and things like that, photographing it from various uh, okay. different lighting conditions and things. Okay. Sadly, no work like that has come my way. Oh, all right. And uh, I guess I should ask you then, what, um, what's, what's your favorite small kitchen appliance? Well, I was thinking about this for quite a shocking amount of time, actually. <laughs> I spent thinking good, about this good. question. I would actually have to come to the conclusion, and I'm not sure if you would actually call this an appliance, but a cheese grater. Ah, okay. Just like a, like a kind of the normal, like it's just yeah, you know, got the, the little... normal standard, the classic design, um, okay. upright cheese grater, just because um, cheese probably forms a terrifyingly high part of my diet, <laughs> and I pretty much add it to, to anything. So... Uh, Without a cheese grater, I would probably be lost as far as cooking goes. Uh, again, after thirty, you gotta you gotta start cutting the cheese out of your. Life. I know, I know. This is what <laughs> what, what people always say that you can get away with them um, eating what you want until thirty, and then all of a sudden, all those years of eating badly, and they all come up and they catch up with you overnight. Yeah, and so. all of a sudden you just wake up and you're spherical. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I do have to. I might have to to cut my cheese out and take down one night a week, perhaps. Keep me keep me trim, hopefully.
Cool. All right. So are you, you're not, are you not going to be going to like Tam London or? Uh... I'm not. I would. Um, I would love to be able to go to Tam London. Um, unfortunately, I was. Well, I say unfortunately. Um, I was away in America for quite some time, and it's pretty much used up all of my money. Also, um, unfortunately, I just don't have the, the the money to go. And it's not so much the event itself; it's finding accommodation and uh, and things like that that would prove to be the the pricier part on. On top of that, so unfortunately, the next few weeks I'm going to have to buckle down and okay. get back into working. And um, uh, so you're not, you're not going to go to was it Q, QED? You're not going to go to the QED? Um, I would again. I would quite like to go okay. to to QED. It's um, it's a fair way up north if I can if I can remember. But it has a really really good uh, uh, lineup of of guests, which. Uh, um, it's yeah. riv- it's rivaling Tam London, yeah. I know. Yes, it was quite because when it was first announced, it seemed quite a quite small scale. Mm-hmm. But as the weeks have gone on, it just seems to have got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. So I feel I, I probably will be looking into that at least, and uh, you know, seeing if um, I don't know if there are any tickets remaining or, but I should probably have a have a look into it because it sounds really interesting. Okay, so for for the next conceivable while, I'll just be skeptics in the pub events. I think so. Yes, yes. Oh, Skepsis okay. in, in the pub. I think the 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 Bristol branch. I think has been going for just under a year in its entirety, and uh, I took some time out while I was away in America, obviously. But I did manage to attend um, uh, the Chicago Skeptics while I was out over there. So it was quite a ah, quite nice. nice, almost like a cultural exchange going from one to <laughs> one to the other. We should get like little little gold pass cards or something. So uh, you know. You can sort of show it and get access to a better bathroom or something like that. Yes, like visitors from a, from a overseas, or exactly. like with like special kind of like skeptic badges of. Exactly. In fact, perhaps perhaps it's like the Masons. We should have perhaps invent a skeptical handshake, and uh, so uh, we would know it would be that would be the the brothership of a of a skeptics or brotherhood and sisterhood of skeptics. That's an interesting idea. <laughs> wow! If I, if I could, put, for my own part, if I can promote our uh, our uh, skeptic camp, we're doing a skeptic camp in Toronto. Actually, it, it's on it's on ten twenty three, uh, October twenty twenty three. Not really much of a homeopathic focus, but um, it, what's unusual, I guess, about this skeptic camp is it's almost a Canada wide skeptic camp. Uh, I think God, I think like Calgary and Toronto and Winnipeg and Ottawa. I think basically most the important cities across Canada, uh, not Halifax, are, are all having a skeptic camp <laughs> on the same day. So it's almost, almost oh wow yeah like a hands across America, but a skepticism across Canada. Across Canada, yeah. yeah. How is how is skepticism in Canada? Because I listened to um, and think of the, uh, the reality check podcast and obviously your podcast yeah uh reality check they they turn it out uh they're they're very good Uh, yes let's see out out west uh vancouver and stuff vancouver is sort of like woo central i think for canada and and so they they do they do very well we're we're really lagging far behind in toronto and this is why we're kind of doing a skeptic camp kind of to get to sort of because we we're, we're we 
we're shameful our behavior but you know we've got it's an expensive city <laughs> and we got the work and pay mortgages and of course yeah and there's the you know we were thinking about oh we got to do a big uh homeopathy thing you know it's 1023 and we're kind of looking around and going it's not really a big thing here this homeopathy stuff so yeah. you have to look really hard and but you, you, I think- you oh go ahead I think uh, homeopathy, that's a big thing in Britain. Um, but I've heard, you know, much less so in America and, and other places. Yeah. You know, and I, I was unsure about Canada. I think I think it's quite big in Australia. But I think we've pretty much, we've got, we bear the most of the brunt of that kind of crazy. <laughs> Here it's mostly like, a, you know, detox, which I... I'd mm-hmm. almost love to take on that one. It's like, you know, almost every woman I know has been on some detox thing. It's been Absolutely, honey, yes. You know. And it's the kind of thing that up until probably a few years ago, I assumed that there was some science behind it. It's one of those things. It sounds science-y. Yeah, exactly. But as soon as you start looking into it, then no, this is just another another made-up form of fake medicine. Yeah, exactly. You know, what What really sort of made me skeptical is, you know, these detox foot baths where, you know, the after oh, yes. picture, you know, the water's absolutely brown. And I'm like, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a biologist or, you know, a doctor or anything. But I'm, you know, what I do know, I'm like, I just, you know, a little bit of toxin, you know, is enough to sort of, you know, poison you and you, you know, yes. make you very sick or kill you. So if your body was so full of toxin <laughs> that it would turn a foot bath brown, like, like you, know, your, you know, your kidneys would have shut down. Long. I know. I think that would have – but you actually just had this sort of brown gunk running through your, yeah. through your body all this time. I think your body would have closed down a long time before then. And for it all to just be able to ooze out of your feet into water seems – a bit too much wishful thinking over there. Exactly. Anyway, so I should let you go because I'm gonna, I'm gonna. It's my, it's my Sunday morning, so I'm gonna. Of course, yes, it is still morning time there. Yeah, I'm gonna enjoy the rest of my fairly warm, sunny Sunday. Oh, good for you. Well, I will probably go out and go for a walk. I think and see, trying to enjoy what, what's left of it. It still seems quite sunny outside. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks, Charles. I'm, I'm glad we we kind of hooked up finally and. and and got this oh, well, me too. I'm, uh, I, I enjoyed it. It was very good. Okay, and hope maybe skeptics in a pub, you can sort of use this show to sort of leverage, you know, you know, oh, and you know, having oh, appeared, yes, having appeared on the conspiracy <laughs> skeptic, you know, talk about uh, Jack the Ripper. That'd be kind of that'd be kind of cool. Excellent. Okay, have a good day there. Yes, and you too. All right, thanks, okay. Charles. Okay, bye bye. Bye bye.